This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the sea road, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the shadow land of death, light has dawned. Just a short reading today. Apologies for that, because I do know that is many people's favourite part of the live stream. Um, famous uh, words from Matthew 4, quoting Isaiah 42. And uh, what I want to share with you this morning, our whole theme this month is going to be the light shines in the darkness. But I want to share with you the fact that the Christmas story, which actually is the story of the incarnation. Incarnation means God becoming flesh. God who is spirit. God who is other than the world. God who exists uh, uh, independently of creation. He put on flesh. He came into the world. That's Jesus. God of God. A uh, light of light. It's what the what the what the uh, the the carol says. A hymn, doesn't it? Oh, come, we faithful. That is who he is. The very God Himself came and entered into our creation to make Himself known. And Matthew, he's actually describing the beginning of Jesus's public ministry here. It's this thirty years after the birth of Christ that he introduces this quote from Isaiah to describe what is happening, and he's really using it as a way to explain. Why was Jesus based in Galilee? Why was he in this kind of obscure backwater, uh, one of the least fashionable parts of of, uh, Israel? Why was that where? Well, it was because God wanted to to show that he was uh, he was coming. First of all, that he prophesied where the Messiah would be, but also that this was a place of darkness. This was a place of of out of the wayness. And more than just darkness, it was the it was the place of the shadow of death. And, you know, Jesus came in the darkest time. He came and to those that were living in darkness and for those that lived under the shadow or the shadow land of death. And Jesus and his coming into the world and the Christmas story is a promise to those who live in darkness. It shows that God fulfills his word to those who live in darkness. And it wasn't just passing through dark. We all pass through darkness. But this was this was a promise to a people whose whole existence seemed like I live in the dark all the time. But there's a promise. If that's where you are, you will see the light. You see, you see the, the, the disadvantage of your situation, the, the, the poor experience of, of your life to this point doesn't negate the promise of God. In fact, it makes the promise of God all the more real because his promise is that those that are, live in darkness and those that live under the shadow of death, the light is coming to you. These are the people that Jesus comes to. One of the things that Jesus himself said, he said, look, um, just like a doctor doesn't come for healthy people, he comes to visit the sick people. He says, that's what I've come into the world for. When people accused him of hanging out with sinners and the, and the despised of society and those that other people didn't want to associate with, he said, look, he said, if I've come as a savior, I don't come to, the, I don't come to those who don't think they need saving. I come to those who know they have a need. 
God doesn't come and shine his light on people that think they have the light. He comes to those who know that they live in darkness, who, who know what it is to live under the shadow of death. As a society, as a world, this year we're living under the shadow of death. And praise God for the recent advances in the work of, of, of research scientists and doctors that we can see a, a glimmer of hope. But you know, there's more than a glimmer of hope with Jesus. He says, look, if you're living under the shadow of darkness, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, it's, it's the consequences of the current pandemic that are, that are really the problem with you. It's not, it's not your own mortality, but it's the isolation. It's the disconnectedness. Maybe it's the loss of a job or, 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 or separation from family. You say, it just feels so dark. Here's the promise of God. That's where he comes to shine the light. That's where Jesus wants to be the light. And when you look at the Christmas story, and this time of the year, we tend to come, don't we, and we read the, the first few chapters of the Gospels, apart from Mark, because Mark just kind of jumps in with Jesus as an adult. Uh, but Matthew and Luke and John, Matthew and Luke kind of Together, they tell the two parts of the what we call the nativity story or that which builds up to uh, the birth of Jesus in the early days of his life. John gives us a different kind of reading. He's the one that talks about the light in the darkness. But what's interesting is in the stories that we've read in, in the early chapters of Matthew and Luke, most of them happen in dark places. I don't know whether you've ever really realized that. Most of the, um, you know, you know the, the, the people that are going to be the key figures and the key characters in the background before Jesus is born, the preparation work you like if, if, if that's being done, which is mostly done by angels. This is, it's all done in dark places. And God sends angels who are, they are, I don't really understand very much about angels, but, you know, it seems to me that they are made of light in some of the ways that they're described or, or you know, somehow that but light is always associated with, with angels. And, and God sends these messengers, these beings of light into a series of dark places. And I don't know, it just struck me afresh as I looked at these chapters this year. Actually, so much of this action begins in dark places. Why is that? Well, it's for this reason, because God has promised that those who are in darkness will see a great light. And so we're going to look at a few characters. We're going to begin with Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. We're kind of going chronologically through here. John the Baptist was going to be, was actually Jesus's second cousin or something like that. He was a relation. And, um, and, and John was about six months older than Jesus. And he was going to be raised up as a prophet to prepare the people to meet Jesus. And so if we're going kind of chronologically, the first person who gets an insight into what's going on is Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest and he was on duty in the temple and he had been drawn by lots. They would they would draw lots to see who would go and offer incense on a daily. The incense had to be offered every day at the uh, at the altar, not the altar where the sacrifices were made, but the altar of prayer. Um, and, uh, and, and so he was, he was there and the altar, this altar, the altar of, of burnt incense was inside the holy place. So that the temple effectively had three zones. It had the outer courts and then it had the holy place. Only the priests were allowed in there. And behind the holy place was the most holy place. And only the high priest could enter there. And then only once a year. So most of the 
action took place in the outer courts and in the holy place. And in the outer courts, people could be there who, who weren't priests. But once you got into the holy place, only the priests could be there. And this was an entirely enclosed room. And it was only lit by the golden lampstand. So the only light in the room was this seven-pronged uh, lampstand. And that's where Zechariah is when he has a vision, an encounter with the angel. And in Luke 1, we read this. The angel says to Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I am sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news, the good news that he's going to become a father. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Zechariah, but the angel comes to say, look, Zechariah was an old man and his wife was an old lady. Elizabeth was an old lady. And naturally speaking, it was probably past the time when they could have kids and they'd not been able to have kids. And the angel appears and he says, I've got some good news for you. You're going to become a father. And Zechariah just can't believe it. And the angel says, not as a punishment, actually, as a sign. He says, look, look, this is the proof. <laughs> this is the proof that you're not just imagining this. It's not just that you've had some kind of, you know, cheese that's gone off before you've come on duty or that someone's put something funky in the incense. He says, this is the sign. This is the proof. He says, you're not going to be able to speak until the baby's born. And uh, which kind of leads to all kinds of uh, vaguely comedic moments in the story uh, from here on in. Um, but the, the, he had doubted. He had doubted. And I want to, I wanna, for each of these stories, I think there's something that we can take of what does it mean to be in darkness and what does it mean to be in light? And for Zechariah, he started in a place of doubt. He was a faithful man. He was a good man. Um, and it seems he was part of a community or a company of very faithful people who were based in the temple. They're those who were looking for the consolation of Israel, it describes them. Um, Simeon and Anna, who, who are another two of my really favourite characters in this story. We're not going to talk about them today. But they were part of this company as well. People that really expected God to do something. They knew that something was on the cards because they believed the promises of God. But when Zechariah has his encounter, his first reaction is to doubt. But what happens after John is born, his son is born? What happens after God fulfills his promise? He becomes a proclaimer. And later in Luke, in, in, in Luke 1 verse 78, he prophesies. He has this beautiful, wonderful prophecy. I'm not going to read it all to you now, but, but go and look at it. And this, this wonderful faith-filled expression of what God is doing. He's really got it. He's really understood what God is up to. And this is how he ends his, the prophecy that he proclaims to all the people there. He says this, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The sunrise shall visit us. Isn't that wonderful? He's talking about the coming of Jesus. The, he will be like the sunrise of a new day to visit us who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And one of the things it means to go from light to darkness means to go from light, uh, from doubt to proclamation. And, you know, God wants to bring people from light to darkness. He wants to bring those who don't know him from a place of doubt to a place of saying, I found the truth. I've understood. I've seen Jesus. He's real. For those of us that do know him, he wants to lift us out of any lethargy and doubt that says, well, we kind of know what God is up to, but we kind of doubted that we were part of it to turn that into a proclamation. Maybe you've doubted that you're part of the way that God wants to reach the world through the gospel, 
But like Zechariah, let, let your doubt in the darkness be turned to a proclamation in the light to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's go on to our next character, Joseph, the father of Jesus, so it was thought. And Joseph is visited by an angel in a dream. Matthew one twenty says uh, that, that Joseph was, was visited uh, by the angel in his dream while he was asleep. Now, I don't know about you. I do sometimes fall asleep in the daytime, but mostly I fall asleep at nighttime. It was a dark place. It was another, and whether it was, I'm sure it probably, almost certainly sure it was nighttime. It was literally dark. But even if it was any other time when you're asleep, you're in darkness, aren't you? And Joseph is in darkness. He's in a place of sleep. And God comes and speaks to him in a dream. And here's the thing, that Joseph was engaged to Mary. And while he's only engaged to her, and engagement in the culture of the time was a, a stronger um, agreement, a stronger th- it was a stronger thing culturally in, in, and in the society than it would be seen as today. To break off an engagement was, was a big deal. Uh, because promises had already been made, even though they'd not been married and they'd not come together. And Joseph decides, oh, I found out that this girl that I'm engaged to, she's pregnant. And of course, naturally speaking, there's only one way that's happened. And he thinks, look, that's a terrible thing, but I want to do the best buyer I can. Let's just quietly dissolve this engagement and go out our separate ways. That's probably the best solution I can find. But of course, he has this visit from the angel who comes and sheds a greater light on the situation. Explains to him, no, 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 this isn't because she's been unfaithful. This is actually the work of God. God has done something. God has worked a miracle, Joseph, and I want you to be part of it. And it says this in Matthew one twenty four, and the, and the angel says, take her as your wife. Matthew one twenty four. it says, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Isn't that great? That when you're asleep, you go to sleep with a certain way of thinking, and you're inactive, and an angel meets you in a dream, and you wake up, and you see things completely differently. And you behave in a different way. He goes from asleep to action. He goes from human wisdom. What's the what's the kindest way I can deal with this difficult situation? To realizing the divine plan and being part of what God is doing. And you know what? God wants to do that. If you're in the darkness of sleepiness, if you're in the darkness of inaction, God wants to wake you up and shine his light and say, hey, you're part of the plan. You're part of my purpose. I've got something for you to do. I've got a mission for you. And if you're thinking, I don't know what my life is all about. I don't really know that there's much purpose to this. Everything I thought that was important, maybe lots of those things have been stripped away. And you think, what am I even here for? I want you to know you have a part to play in the plan of God. And just like Joseph, God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake you up and bring you to a place of action. Because I want you to know that however you've been thinking naturally, whether good thoughts, bad thoughts, whether wise thoughts or foolish thoughts, I want to show you you've got a part to play in my divine plan and my divine purpose. Okay, we're going to move on. The next uh, group of people now we meet are the Magi. And um, in um, the, these were these wise men from the East. And what had they been doing? Well, they had been looking at stars. And you can only do that at nighttime. You can only do that in the darkness. You can only look at stars in the darkness. So I know that these were also men of the darkness. They were looking 
at the night sky. They were searching for something. They were um, uh, they were the scientists and the kind of religious people of their culture and their day. And they were looking in the heavens because they wanted they were look they were trying to search for truth, searching for something. They didn't really know what they were looking for, but then they saw this star. And in Matthew 2, verse 2, it says, When we saw his star, we saw his star when it rose, and then in verse 9, and behold, um, the star they had seen when it rose went before them. So, you know, it leads them from where they begin, probably in Persia. Uh, it leads them to uh, Israel, to Judah. Uh, they come, they first of all go to the king's palace in Jerusalem. They think that's the most likely place to find a king. Uh, but then the star leads them on from there because they find that that isn't where they're going. And the star leads them to Bethlehem and they're led by the star. They're searching for something. And in Matthew 2, verse 10 and 11, it says, when they, when they, when they, they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. What was their journey from darkness to light? It was from searching for something to finding the truth. From searching to finding, to finding the true light. John says the true light. It's not just a star. He's the true light. And, you know, many people who are in darkness are searching and they're searching for truth. They're searching for meaning. I don't know how these guys knew about a star. There's some references to it in the Old Testament scripture and it does seem that God drops little bits of, of kind of insight and revelation into other cultures and other, uh, other, other places at different times that turn people towards searching for him. But the true light is only found in Jesus. And this light, this star that they saw in the nighttime came and it brought them to, what did, what did Zechariah call him? The dawn, Jesus, the dawn of the new day, the rising sun. And you may be in darkness, but you're looking, you're searching, you're looking for the light. You're looking, where's, where is, what is, what's ultimately going on? What is, what's the meaning of all this? What's the purpose in life? What's the, what's this longing inside of me that I don't seem to be able to satisfy with things that I can put inside of me? That's a desire for Jesus. You're like these wise men. You're like these guys who give themselves to searching out truth. And I want you to know, just like them, you can come to this place of, what does it say? Rejoicing with exceeding great joy. Why? Because we found all of our studies, all of our searching, all of our diligence, all of our research, all of the things and, and, and our, our, our willingness to respond to a divine intervention of a light in the sky has brought us to this place where we've discovered Jesus. I don't know what it is that's going to lead you to Jesus. I don't know which light he's going to use, but he's going to wants to bring you to the true light. That's how he wants to take us from light into darkness, uh, from darkness into light. Next one. There was a bunch of shepherds. You remember them? Luke 2.8. They were watching their flocks by night. They watched their flocks in the daytime as well, but it was nighttime. They were, you know, they were working diligently. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They weren't really expecting very much out of the night. They were just hoping for a quiet night, none of the sheep wandering off, 
everyone keeping safe, no wolves coming, no lions coming. They were on guard, but they were hoping for a quiet night, just getting on with their business. They strike me as a bunch of people who had very little expectation. And they were, some of them presumably satisfied, some of them dissatisfied with their place in life, just like most people that you meet every day. But these were everyday guys doing their everyday business. And it was nighttime. And what happened? Suddenly, there's an angel, and then there's thousands of angels, and the whole sky lights up. And the message to them is this, in Luke 2, verse 10, the angel says, I bring you great news, for unto you is born this day. And then they say, and this will be a sign to you. Suddenly, these insignificant, just getting on with everyday life bunch of people find that they are right in the middle of the purposes of God. When God sends his son into the world, he goes and finds some everyday blokes and says to them, hey, this is for you. He's come for you. It's good news for you. He's born for you. And I'm going to send a sign for you. They suddenly discovered in their everyday life, we can call that darkness, that they were part of God's eternal plan. That's light. And God wants to take you from the darkness of the everyday into the bright sunshine of the eternal, of everyday life, of just the routine. It can be good. It can be bad. It's, it's, it's kind of neutral. But he says, there's something going on you hadn't realized. There's good news for you. Uh, there's a child who's been born for you. There's a sign for you. You're included. You're part of it. You're in this. Come and see. Come and see. Four different people or groups of people in darkness who get brought into light. There's one more person I want to talk about. I'm going to finish with this. And this one doesn't happen in the darkness. And there's a character that we haven't included. And that's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And when the angel appeared to Mary in Luke 2, it's interesting that the angel appears, greets her, and then it says this, Mary was greatly troubled by what he said. Now, I find that quite remarkable that she wasn't troubled by the fact that an angel had turned up. She was troubled by the message. <laughs> and of course, she goes through and asks questions and interrogates the angel and finds stuff. You know, Mary comes out of this whole story extremely well. And she here is the exception to the rule because we have no idea what time of day the angel turned up. But in all the others, we know it was dark. And in this one, we're not told. It's an exception to the rule. There's no mention of darkness, no mention of light, light, nighttime. And without going into really any detail, I want to let you know that Mary herself is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, every time you find a bride through the scripture, uh, it's a picture of the church because the church is the bride of Christ. And here's Mary. She is a betrothed bride, which is exactly the status that you and I as the bride of Christ have with Jesus right now. We're engaged, but we're not married. When he returns, that's the wedding feast. That's the wedding. And so Mary is a picture, as every other bride in scripture is, of the church. And she is the one who, it says, has found favour with God. Now, in some respects, all the others had as well. They were all good people, even though Joseph was asleep and, and the, the wise men were, were, were kind of, you know, didn't really know what they were looking for. And the shepherds were kind of oblivious and, and, and Zechariah doubted. But, but actually, God had chosen them. He had put his favour on them. He'd chosen them by grace to use them. 
and we're explicitly told that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were righteous and upright people. But here's Mary, he says, you found favour with God. And then this other statement, they said, the Lord is with you. And you see, that's true of us believers today as well as the bride of Christ today. God's favour is upon us and the Lord is with you. The Lord, that's been a message through the worship, through the prayers this morning. God is with us. And this is what the angel promises Mary. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Those two things that the, that the angel says as messages from God and the one response from Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Nothing will be impossible for God with God. And Mary says, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And today you and I are called to share the light. We're called to preach the good news. We're called to bring the word of God into this world and to shine the light of Jesus into the dark places and into the lives of those who feel like they're living in the shadow of death. God today is looking for people upon whom the Holy Spirit has come and who say, come Holy Spirit, anoint me afresh to preach your good news. Fill me afresh empower me to be a witness to Jesus, to be a light in the darkness, to a people who agree with God when he says nothing will be impossible for you. Let's not go through Zechariah's experience of, of doubting and then nine months of not being able to speak because of that doubt, but say, no, all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. It's still possible in 2020 to lead someone to Jesus. It's still possible in 2020 to see breakthrough. It's still possible in 2020 to see healing, to see, uh, to, to see brokenheartedness restored, to see people who are lost, found and transformed by the love of God. It's still possible in 2020 for all those things and many, many more beside to happen. And what's God looking for? He's looking for those who will say, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me, as you have said. I'm going to pray and then we're just going to, as we like to end with speaking a word of blessing to one another and to God. But let me pray first. Father, I pray that, Lord, that this will indeed be a season unlike what we've experienced before, where your light, the true light, comes and breaks into the darkest places. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you. Lord, that you would right now shine your light into their lives and reveal the truth about your wonderful son, Jesus. Lord, for those of us that know you, I pray, Lord, right now, Lord, let there be a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. Let there be a fresh rise of faith to say that nothing is impossible. And let there be a devotion and obedience to your word to share and preach and proclaim and shine the light of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.